right, good morning. Ooh, that's a little hot. We're good? Uh, well, hey, I'm glad to be here. My name is Corey Cangelosi, and um, man, don't you love Seth and Kendra? Can we just give God a hand for your pastors? I've known this guy uh, at least a decade, maybe 12 years, and I just want to um, throw him under the bus a little bit, if you don't mind, before anything else. I feel like this is appropriate. Uh, most people like to honor people. I just want to throw them out there and uh, just so you really know who your pastor is, um, but years ago, my wife and I, we, we've been a part of New Life uh, almost since the very beginning, 2001, and um, got to know Pastor Rick as a college student at UCA, and, uh, and then we, we came in on, uh, in 2007 and uh, worked with families and kids and were children's pastors and loved it. Uh, any kids in here right now? Any, any young people? I got, I, okay, thank you, Micah. Raise your hand. Good job. Um, Hey, I love it. So let's, I just am so thankful for uh, this young generation. I fell in love with, with working with kids years ago, and Seth was a college student 10, 12 years ago and came in and wanted to volunteer in our children's ministry. And I said, great, I have a, have a role for you. Um, I need you to stand on stage and be a tree in the, st- the skit. And, uh, and he did pretty good. I said, don't move, don't say anything. You just stand here, you're a tree. That's great. Uh, because he did so good at that, the, the next month or so, I allowed him, another college student, to be Mario and Luigi uh, in another skit. And they did great. I actually don't remember if you were Mario or Luigi. Probably Mario, because you're shorter, right, than the other guy. But, um, but here's what I know about Seth and Kendra. Man, they'll do anything to reach people for Christ. Whether stand up and be a tree, dress up like Mario and Luigi for a bunch of kids, uh, his heart, their heart for uh, the church for God's people, for the lost, is so big, and I so appreciate uh, just God's hand on this family as they have uh, transitioned into this time here in Fayetteville, and uh, man, I love what God's doing here. So I'm from Hot Springs. Anybody been to Hot Springs? Spa City? Okay, great. My wife likes all the spas. Kind of, you know, it's kind of weird to me, but it's fine. Um, so come see us if you're in Hot Springs, New Life Church there. We've been there for about 10 years. I uh, love it, man. God's doing some amazing things in Hot Springs. Listen to this. This is so cool. Uh, Washita Baptist University and Henderson State are about 45 minutes away, and we have about 40 to 50 college students uh, every Sunday that drive into Hot Springs from Arkadelphia to come to church. And I love it because Hot Springs is not a college town. Uh, you guys got it going on. I wish it was a college town. I miss college town. Don't get mad at me, but I grew up in Baton Rouge, a college town. Uh, but then I married a girl from Fayetteville. All right, and uh, she is born and raised here. In fact, I've got a picture of our family. We were here uh, last night. This is at the Fayetteville Hall, Fayetteville High School Hall of Greats. Her dad got inducted into the, the Hall of Fame up there. And uh, so this is our crew and, and her brothers and wives and, uh, and so wife. Each of her brothers just has one wife. <laughs> let's, let's make sure that's edit that back on the, the recording. Um, but yeah, so we've got a bunch of kids. We have six. We moved to Hot Springs. We had three kids, four, two, and one. And we decided, hey, let's have one more kid because why not? And, um, you know, we had two girls and we had a boy. And so we got pregnant with number four. And I told the church, I said, hey, guys, uh, we're pregnant with number four. Our, our, our little guy's a boy and um, we want another boy. And I'm just going to put that out there. If anybody ever tells you they don't care what the gender is, they're liars because everybody cares. Everybody has a preference even if you don't realize it, you got a preference. So I'm asking for a boy because who wants one boy and three sisters? I mean, that's just not good. So, uh, so I asked the church and, to pray for a boy, and they did, and this is what happened. My wife goes to her ultrasound, and um, 
She looks at that, and she goes, I, you know, I can't really read these things that well, but that looks like three. <laughs> and, and here's the best part. I wasn't even there. Because it was our fourth baby. I'm like, babe, you got this. Don't worry about it. Uh, in fact, the day before was a Monday. I was off. We were playing tennis. And she's just like a few weeks pregnant, right? I mean, I don't know how big you have to be on that picture, but a few weeks pregnant. And she was gassed after like a few points. And so I'm dogging her. I'm like, babe, what, we haven't you finished it. You want to take a water break again? Well, let's, let's finish the game, at least like half a set, you know? And I mean, we're not tennis players, but we, we can hack it and everything. And, and uh, she's like, no, I'm really tired. Oh, I just feel really fatigued. And I'm like, you're barely even pregnant. Suck it up, buttercup. Um, what not to say to your wife's husband. And um, so, she, so I go to work. I'm actually at a staff meeting with Pastor Rick and other pastors. And she's at our fourth kid's doctor's appointment. The nurse goes, uh, when, when Tanner looks at it and goes, I, I, don't, you know, I think that looks like three. And this is all she said. It is. Let me get the doctor. <laughs> she just walks out. My wife just begins to weep in the little ultrasound room, you know, by herself. And they walk in, and she's like hysterical, like, are you okay? She's like, I think so. <laughs> I said, no. Oh, my gosh. So this is, you know, our kids a few, uh, like a year later maybe, and uh, we, look, we look pretty normal. Um, you know, this is it's kind of like a, you know, happy family. This is more real life. We try to take our kids to a UCA football game, and it was like herding cats. It was like, man, everybody grab a kid. You know, like my son's trying to take a selfie, I think. I don't know what's happening. Um, so he was two. He had just turned two when the triplets were born. And we basically had to say, Jacob, I, good luck, buddy. Like, I don't know who's going to raise you, but it definitely is not us. The girls are a little older. They can feed themselves. I just, you know, we're praying for you. <laughs> I mean, that was, that was kind of how our life was um, for a season. Just crazy. And they're eight years old now, so uh, we made it. Mostly due to my wife. She's a champ, and um, they'll be here second service. But um, here's what we're going to do. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 2 or grab your notes, and uh, go ahead and stand to your feet. We're, we're going to read together um, our passage today out of Acts 2 and talk about the church. Um, and, and I just love uh, to exercise at church. So we're going to stand up a lot. No, just one time. Um, but, but I really do just think it, it honors God and his word when we stand and read it together uh, as his people. And, uh, you know, we stand for the pledge. We, we stand for the alma mater or whatever it is. And so I think, man, we can stand um, for God's word. Amen? Amen? So let's read this, uh, verse 42 to 47. Here we go all together. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray together. Father, the grass uh, withers and the flowers fade, but we believe that your word stands forever. It endures. It is, it is pure and, 
and good. And, and, and like Seth prayed earlier, Father, would you give us uh, fertile soil in our hearts to receive what you have for us today, Holy Spirit? Would you give us ears to hear, eyes to see wonderful things in your law that we might be edified, that we might be built up, Father, that we might reflect Christ as his bride here on this earth to this community, this city, this county, Lord, uh, this region for your glory. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. All right, tell somebody to sit down, grab a pen, take some notes. Um, So I want to talk about the church a little bit this morning, and really I want to just cast a vision for us as a church because um, I feel like I'm a part of your church, and I hope you feel like you're a part of my church in Hot Springs, and I feel like the the better you do as as reflections of God's image as his children, his sons and daughters, um, as the bride of Christ, the, the better we do in Hot Springs, the better the church universal does in this world, in this state of Arkansas. And, and so I'm pulling for you guys. We're pulling for you in Hot Springs. I hope you're pulling for us uh, down there from Fayetteville. Um, but but I, I hope, and I know it's Pastor Rick's heart, that as a church, we look like God's Word. Amen? And from the very beginning, Pastor Rick has always challenged us, hey, we, we want to be a church that looks like the Bible, that we reflect God's Word and what, what the Word of God says. Uh, and, and so if that's you, if you just want to look like the Word of God, can, can you raise your hand? Can I see you? Okay, that's enough of us. We're going to be all right, I feel like, in this place. Um, so what we have in Acts 2 is a picture of God's Word. It's, it's, God's, it's the church. The first church that was ever born uh, is right here in the inner city of Jerusalem. It's a multicultural, multi-ethnic church birthed right there uh, on the day of Pentecost. And, and what we just read is uh, a picture of that very first church. In just a little bit of context, if you back up in Acts chapter 1, what we see is that Jesus leaves his disciples, he ascends into heaven, he tells them, hey, wait here, um, pray, seek my will, and, and as you pray, I'm going to send my helper, the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit of God is going to come on you, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, you'll be given power and to be my witnesses. So they're in the upper room, they're praying Pentecost happens, the Holy Spirit falls. They start preaching God's word in all the languages because this is a festival time. There's a bunch of people in Jerusalem. um, Thousands and thousands of people from all over are in Jerusalem this feast day. All different ethnicities and cultures and languages. And all of a sudden they hear the gospel preached in their language. And they're responding. And it's, it's, it's kind of freaking some people out. In fact, some of them start to accuse the apostles of being drunk. And Peter goes, no, 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 we're, it's only not in the morning, bro. Relax, we're not drunk. This is the power of God. This, this is the Spirit of God moving. And so he preaches a sermon. The Bible said that they were pierced to the heart when they heard Peter's words. And then 3,000 people get saved that day, baptized. The church is birthed right there. And it's an awesome time. And then we get to verse 42. And we see, okay, what does this church look like in the next few days and weeks? And it's a great picture for us to, to model ourselves after, I believe, uh, as we see, man, God moving. This is what we want to look like. And so if you're taking notes, write this down. The first thing I want you to see is that the, the early church, this Acts 2 first century church, was a learning church. Everybody say a learning church. So, so look at what it says right there in verse 42. It says, they were continually devoting themselves. Now, actually, I want to stop right there. 
Because it's one thing to start well. Man, it's a whole other thing to be steadfast, to persevere. And I think God wants us to be a church that is continually devoted, right? That, that's our mission statement, in fact, as a church. We, we, we want to bring in our friends and families to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. Amen? You all heard that? Hopefully you've seen that, Connect Class or whatever. Man, that, that's kind of how we've summarized the Great Commission right there, to be fully devoted. God wants us to continually devote ourselves to some things. And, man, I just think this fall, let me challenge you, school's about to start. We're probably going to get back into some rhythms, some routines. This is a great time to, to be devoted or to devote yourself to some things. And we're going to look at what did the early church devote themselves to. And so my hope is that not only do we as a church corporately devote ourselves, but personally ask God, hey, what can I devote myself to? myself to, my, my family to, as we get into the falls, we kind of get back into a rhythm, a routine. And here's the first thing that we see, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching. Look, that, that's just this book right here. Now, they didn't have the New Testament. They were currently writing it, right? It's what we have. They, they had the Old Testament. It wasn't necessarily like this, but there were scrolls, and they were familiar with God's Word for sure. But the first thing that we see is that these are people of the book. How many of you want to be people of the book and devoted to the apostles' teaching? Now, here's what's very, very unique about this statement. This is on the heels of an incredible experience. I mean, they just had a massive revival. The Holy Spirit fell. It was was awesome. 3,000 people got saved. Revival. Big event happened. I mean, Peter's out there. It's all these people. And, And the first thing that they devote themselves to is not seeking another great experience. Or another big event. They devote themselves to studying God's Word on the heels of an incredible event, an incredible experience, right? Where all, all the, the, this fire fell from heaven, but that's not what they were after. They were after God's Word. And, and in fact, that's exactly what Jesus told them in the Great Commission. He said, Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And so what are they devoted to? They're devoted to the apostles' teaching. They realize, man, we have a church now. We have all these people. And Jesus said to make disciples, how do we do that? Well, we baptize them. Check one. We've done that. All right. But, but now we're supposed to teach them. Well, how do we know what to teach them? Well, we teach them what Jesus taught us. And so they were devoted right out of the gate, the very first thing. And I think uh, this is prior, needs to be priority for us, too. Before we seek great experiences and great weekend services and great collide conferences and all those things, we need to be people who are devoted to this book. Amen? In fact, let me challenge you. Bring this book every time you come to church. Man, man, bring it to life group. Bring it to, to school. If you're a student, man, bring this. Read it in your breaks, you know, whatever. Carry this book. This is our sword. This is our, our guidebook. This is the owner's manual to life. Circle it, underline it. If you don't have one, go check Lost and Found. There's probably some nice ones. In fact, I was in Pastor Seth's office earlier, and he has a bunch of extra Bibles. So just grab one out of there. They're leather-bound. They're really sweet. So sorry if you needed one of those. But uh, Man, they were a learning church. That's number one. I love what First Peter says, that we are to long for the pure milk of the Word so that by it we may grow in respect to salvation. God wants us to grow. And we grow with this book with his word. Amen. Here's the second thing we see. They were a loving church. 
a loving church. So they're a learning church. They're a loving church. And we see that they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Everybody say fellowship. So this Bible study leads to fellowship. And, and this is a beautiful word right here. Uh, it's, it's the word koinonia, and we'll break that down in just a minute. But, but it's from the, the word koinos, which means common. And so like if you ever heard of koine Greek, um, that, that's common Greek, not classical Greek. And you're like, what is this guy talking about? Who cares? Don't worry about it. Um, so, so here's what the point is. The fellowship of the other church, it was a common fellowship based on the things that they held in common. You'll realize there's a lot of differences in this room. There's a lot of things we could divide ourselves over. And, but our fellowship is based on what we have in common. Coin and knee. I mean, we, we have a common Savior. We have common the blood of Jesus that, that saves us all, right? We all are commonly broken and lost in our sin. And we all commonly can't do it on our own, okay? I mean, we all need Jesus just as much as the next person. John said it this way in 1 John, What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you may have koinonia, fellowship with us. Indeed, our koinonia, our common fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. So see, our fellowship is based on Jesus. It's what we have in common. It's this common participation in God. And I love how this played out. If you look all the way down to verse 44, uh, we'll see it says, All those who had believed were together, had all things in common. There's the word koinos. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. So, so let's break this down. Koinonia is the word fellowship based on things in common. It's from the root word koinos, uh, which is just the word common. But, but, but what we see here as a loving church is koinonikos, which is the word generous in the Greek. And so there's this, this generosity based on their love for one another and the fellowship they share in Christ. And, and so I love how this is, is played out. And in fact, I want to just go back and look at how they played this out because their love for each other, it, it was tangible, right? They began selling their property, their possessions. They were sharing with them all. Do you know how God spells love? It's four letters, but it starts with a G. I-V-E. That's how God spells love. God so loved the world that he gave. See, for God, love is spelled give. You know, it's one thing to say, I love you, bro. You know, you're, you're my boy. It's another thing to show up on a Saturday morning uh, with your pickup truck and, and help somebody move. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? All right, so I mean, that, that's, that's, real, that's real love right there. You're giving me your Saturday morning, your lower back muscles, your truck, your time, and whatever. Uh, that, that, that's what love looks like. And so remember the early church, there's people from all over the world. They're in Jerusalem right now. The church explodes. They, they might have shown up there for a week or so for this festival, this feast, Passover. But, but now they're, a lot of them are staying for a lot longer. I mean, they're like, wow, this is, now we're having church. And, and so now think about all the needs that are now there in that city. you got thousands of extra people living there, some of them for extra weeks. Maybe some of them decided, hey, we're going to move here. Like, we're not going back home. We're, we're just going to find a place. And, and, and now we've overwhelmed all, all the, the, the needs that are in these, this city. And you see that, like, as needs, well, there were a lot of needs arising. And, and back in that day, listen, they couldn't just go to their bank account and pull out money to meet needs. Most of the wealth of the early church that first century uh, for a long time was in what you physically possessed. 
right? So unless you needed a goat, I had to go sell my goat and, and buy whatever you needed or sell some land or, or sell some wheat that I had. And so back then, they, they literally had to, to sell their things uh, or give you what I had already, my possessions, my land, my wheat, my goats and sheep or whatever it is in order to help you meet needs. And it was a lot different than today. But let me just step aside for a minute and, and address something that this is not referring to. Because I think it's always good to, to uh, use God's word to interpret uh, everything around us in the world. Amen? And so what this isn't referring to is uh, communism or even socialism, which a lot of times those things are, are based on this passage. Like, oh, they had everything in common. That's, that's, I mean, this is great. It's communism. It's, it's awesome. But, but what I want us to understand is that those things uh, have, have roots in Marxism, which is antithetical to biblical generosity. Let me give you just a brief definition of communism. It's, it's the sharing of goods, but it's forced sharing. Communism is based on the idea that no one has a right to own anything. Everything belongs to everybody, which kind of sounds good on the surface, right? Like, oh, it's all of ours. And that, that kind of seems like what's happening here. Like they had everything in common. Everything belonged to everybody, but, but that's not what's happening. And, and in communism, everything really who it belongs to is the state, and, and whatever's produced is shared by force. So it's really compulsory. There's, there's no free will of generosity. It's, it's I have to give because I don't own anything. You, you own it all. Socialism is slightly different. It's, it acknowledges the right to private property, but it forces people to give uh, once they reach a certain percentage. Or a certain percentage, if you, if you can own so much up to this point, but then everybody's not going to own anything more than this. And usually that point is like right above poverty, right? So once you, you own this, then, then everything else goes to the state. You have to share everything from that point on, and, and it's redistributed to everybody everywhere. This is, you know, what, what in Cuba will break your heart. I was there a few years ago on a mission trip, and there was a doctor I met, young guy, uh, early 30s, and he was a foot doctor. There's a name for that, like podiatrist or something, or Manny Petty, I don't know. <clears throat> something, but no, this guy was like a legit doctor, and he was telling me, I was asking him about him, like, hey, do you like being a doctor? He's like, man, I really wish I was a waiter. I was like, what? Like a waiter, like at a restaurant? He was like, yeah, yeah, man, I'd make a lot more money. I was like, what do you mean? He goes, well, everybody's paid the same, every job, everything. Everybody has the same salary, doctor, doesn't matter, like, you get paid the same as everybody else except waiters and waitresses. I was like, why? Well, because they get tips. Man, I could make so much more if I was a waiter especially in a tourist community like Havana. We were in Havana. And, and, and so here he is lamenting about being a doctor because there was no incentive. It, he was forced to share everything past a certain point. He, he made just as much as everybody else and realized there's some things in, in our nation that are very socialistic, right, that, that, that are, you know, definitely have some good aspects. But, but when, when the state redistributes things uh, to, to even it out, we have to realize that that's not biblical generosity, in fact, the, the real problem there is, is the roots in, in Marxism. Karl Marx, he hated freedom. He hated religion. His goal was to abolish private property, to abolish religion. It was the opiate of the masses, and to abolish the nuclear family. Because he knew that was the foundation on which freedom was built. And, and so in his mind, hey, everybody's got to own everything, which means state owns it, then we'll share it with everybody. And that sounds generous. It kind of sounds like what's happening in Acts but I want you to realize that, that he saw life as one giant class struggles, this dichotomy, rich versus poor, oppressed versus oppressor, critical theory stuff. 
and, 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 and the problem with all that is that he was trying to build. What, what these two things try to do is build a utopia on earth. Assuming, kind of based on the fact that people are in essence good. And we can make, we can make this perfect heaven on earth. But as believers, we realize that we're lost. Amen? And we're broken and we're sinful. And we're not living for a heaven on earth. We're living for an eternal heaven with God and Christ. Amen? And so we're, we're trying to rescue people from this broken world and be salt and light and redeem them out into eternal life with God. And, and so true uh, generosity is not forced. In, in the church here, they weren't forced. They weren't giving money to Rome and then distributing it out. No, they were sharing out of their love for God and their love for others because they were free to do so. And so I just want to challenge us as, as Americans, look, we have freedom. And, and what that allows us to do is have a testimony of God's love and being generous, to be a loving church, because we're free to do so. We're not forced to do so. And so what's at stake for us, I believe, is our testimony, that people see, hey, you're, you're sharing with me, not because you have to, but because you're choosing to, and that's what we're seeing is happening here in this book. And I'm just going to brag on our church, man, because I just think New Life Church is, is the most generous church I've ever seen. In fact, Pastor Rick just got back from um, Ukraine last week, and he spent a week or so there uh, with CityServe International. We're partnering with 40 different churches and pastors, supporting them. I mean, paying. We, we've bought several 15-passenger buses or vans that are going from Warsaw, Poland, into Ukraine, bringing supplies, and then like literally stealing people to bring them out. All right? And, and, and this is not like a safe thing, obviously. But, man, we're, we're buying these buses. We're, we're buying supplies. We're sending meals. Uh, I think our goal is to have over 100 meals provided uh, through this time. Man, and I love just how generous this church is. It shows that we are a, a loving church for sure. How many of you feel like that's a good testimony to have? Amen. So, so that's what we see here. They're a learning church, a loving church, and now we're going to see they're a worshiping church. <clears throat> a worshiping church. Verse 42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So these two things, the breaking of bread, this is actually not talking about meals. This is talking about the sacrament of communion, the Lord's Supper. I know Pastor Seth's heart is that this becomes just a regular part of our, our gathering on Sundays, you know, throughout the year that we're regularly breaking bread together. We're, we're taking communion and remembering the sacrifice of Christ. So that's what they were doing, right? Jesus said in the upper room, hey, whenever you do this, remember me. Uh, and he broke bread and, and he passed the cup, uh, the wine around and said, this is my body, this is my blood, broken for you. So that's what's happening here, this sacrament of communion, but also to prayer. And, and there's actually a definite article here in the Greek, the, the word the. So it literally reads to the prayers, which most commentators agree that this, this is talking about a worship service. So when they're devoted to uh, breaking bread in prayer, it's not that just they're praying before their meal. All right, this is, they're having church, and, and, and the prayers are, are prayers like they're praying the Psalms, they're singing together, kind of like we do on Sundays. But I want you to notice where this is happening. In verse 46, it tells us, day by day, continue with one mind in the temple. Everybody say temple. temple. And breaking bread from house to house. Everybody say house. 
So this would be like the temple. So, so there's the temple and the temple courts. So they're meeting outside there in the courts, and that's where they could gather thousands of people. It's a big area. You know? so, so they're meeting there, this big group of people, and, and, and they're having church. They're praying for each other. They're fellowshipping. And let me just commend you guys that this time of worship together, this is so important, that you show up on a Sunday morning and, and you, you get in God's presence by being in the presence of his people. Amen? Like, like something holy happens in this room at that moment. And I'm going to realize that over the last two years, there have been a lot of reasons not to come to this building. And, and I understand that. And that's why we live stream. And there's some people that need to stay home. Um, and we'll, we'll get to that next. The Bible will address that. But for those of you that can be here, let me just commend you. Say, good. God... God values that you gather with his people and you rub shoulders and, and you hang out in the foyer and you sing next to each other. You know what I especially love is when the kids get to be in here sometimes and my kids get to see me worshiping. They get to see me open God's word and listening to a sermon and taking notes and praying. That, that's such a great example for this next generation to see. But, but here's, here's what I know can happen sometimes in church, especially, let me say this, especially in times of transition, right? How many of y'all been around here for a little bit? Fayetteville, so you've been through some transition. And I get it. Listen, uh, I, got, I definitely get it. We, we had a very similar thing in Hot Springs, but let me tell you this, New Life Church Fayetteville. Number one, God is faithful. All right, when you think about transitions, remember, first of all, God is faithful. This is his church. It's not my church, not Seth's church, it's not Pastor Rick's church, anybody else. This is, you're the bride of Christ. He's faithful. Here's the second thing I know. In times of transition, it's easy, unfortunately, for people to slip through the cracks. And here's, here's the lie that Satan loves to whisper in our ears. When we maybe miss church for a week or two weeks or we've been sick or we've been traveling or, or whatever the reason is, he loves to come into us and go, hey, uh, you haven't been to church in like two weeks, a month, six months, whatever. And nobody's even called you. And you're like, man, you're right. It's been a long time. Nobody's called us. We hadn't even, no. And you know why nobody's called you? Because nobody cares about you. And you know why nobody cares about you? Because you don't matter. And you know why you don't matter? Because God doesn't have any purpose for you. You know why God doesn't have a purpose for you? Because God doesn't even love you. Do you realize those are all lies from Satan? Can I just be real bold and declare that? Those are all lies. But he loves to whisper that in our ear just because you know, we, have, we miss church and, and nobody's called me. And, and here's what I, what I know is that if that's ever happened, it does hurt. And it is hard. And I just want to say on behalf of the church, I'm sorry if you've ever felt like you didn't matter because nobody reached out, nobody called, nobody checked on you. You fill out a connect card, you, you sign up for something or whatever, and, and then you just felt like you got dropped. And, and here's what I know. Sometimes we can drop the ball. And this is what keeps me up at night as a pastor, is, is where is the one? The 99 are great, but, but Jesus was concerned about the one. And sometimes we can lose track of the one, and maybe you've been the one, but don't believe the lie that you don't matter to God and that you don't matter to his church. So here's the challenge for you that are here today. 
because it doesn't necessarily apply to you necessarily right in this moment, but look around. And maybe there's somebody that you knew who used to be here and they're not here anymore. And, and it doesn't really matter if they're here or some other church, but, but just let them know, I miss you. Call them. How are you doing? How's your, how's your marriage? How are your kids? How's work? How's school? Let them know that they're loved. And let's all take responsibility. We're, we're the priesthood of believers, amen? It's not just on whoever stands up here with a microphone. It's on all of us. Let them know they're missed. Pray for them. So they met in the temple at church, but they also met from house to house. And I love this. This is why we do life groups as a church, right? They're meeting from house to house. So they're here, big group, but, but we all know this is a big group. You can't really get, get accountable and deep, and, and, and true discipleship doesn't happen right here in this big room with hundreds of people. It happens in a living room. Or it happens Friday morning. I was talking to somebody earlier. They've got a Bible study, a men's group Friday morning. They meet up here at church in, 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 in that great foyer space. That, that's where it happens, where, where we get to grow with one another. We get to open his word, study, and, and encourage one another. And, man, this fall is a great time for you to jump into a, to a life group or, or start a life group. Do, do something that, that man, God, God can use you house to house. Here's the next thing I want you to see. They were a joyful church. A joyful church. Come on, everybody say a joyful church. Joyful church. Wow. That was really, uh, you know what, that was my fault. I didn't set that up well. <laughs> I should have I done like a little song and dance, like, say joyful church. Woo! Can y'all, can y'all say it now? <laughs> there we go. All right. If you're happy and you know it, your face will show it, kind of. Uh, but look, look at 46. They were continuing one mind in the temple, breaking bread house to house, and they were taking their meals with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God. Now, can we, first of all, just praise God that eating is, is biblical, right? Getting together and, and breaking some barbecue, uh, you know, is biblical. That's, you know, this is of the Lord. We're going to eat some good food. Praise God. Take your meals together. We all love to eat. That's good. There's some good places around here. Some of y'all can cook them casseroles. Bring it on. All right. But then notice they did it with gladness. Man, they're having fun. When they got together, there was joy and laughter. And they're telling jokes and they're cutting up and they're high five and hugging each other. I mean, this is what we want church to feel like. But there's gladness. Like we're hanging out. There's, there's life in this place. And, and new life in this place. Amen? Isn't that catchy? We should think about marketing that. Man, it's a great idea. Um, and, and, and here's what's interesting, though, is that this happened every day. And there's no command that Jesus ever gave that said, hey, every day I want you to meet in, in fellowship and, and study the Word. Now, he commanded it you know, on a regular basis, but it wasn't every day. So why would they meet every single day together? And here, I'm going to get really deep with you guys. All right, it's like very theologically deep here. Here's in my opinion, why I think they did it is because they liked each other. <laughs> they just liked hanging out. So they said, hey, man, what are you doing tomorrow? Let's get together again. And let's, let's spend time together because it's fun to be around you and it's fun to be around the things of God and his spirit and his presence when we gather. Man, God's in it and, and I love it. And notice the next thing it says that they were taking their meals with gladness and sincerity of heart. Now, the Greek word here means simplicity. The noun, here's the definition, denotes a humility that's associated with a simplicity 
of life. This is so encouraging to me because I don't know about you, but I have this incredible ability to take something very simple and overcomplicate it. And I think we, we do that so often with Jesus, with following Jesus, right? And, and remember when Jesus said, if you want to follow me, here's what it looks like. And he grabbed a kid. Like, I wish there was a kid in the front row. Second service, I'm sure I'll grab one of my kids and whatever. But he took a little kid and he goes, you want to follow me? Just do what this kid does. Just have childlike faith. The way that they follow their parents around, the way that they trust them for everything, the way that they're, they're needy but, but dependent and, and trusting and, and full of faith and joy, like, that's, that's how I want you to follow me. I mean, can you make it more simple than that? And we want to think like, well, God, I need to do this. I need to have this. I need to know all this stuff. Like, let me, let me ask you this. If, if you were to, to do, like, if I were to ask right now, can you start doing this? Can you start a Bible study in your home tonight? Teaching God's word, fellowshipping, you know, have a meal together. My guess is that most of you right now, your palms are already getting sweaty. You're like, oh, gosh, don't ask me. Please don't call me out. I don't you know, and, and we start over, we're like, I, look, I don't have, I've never been to seminary or Bible college. I've never read the whole Bible. I don't understand half of it. Uh, I didn't grow up in church. My house is not very big. I'm an introvert, you know, like I can't, you can't ask me. I just, and we start adding all this complexity to something very simple. Do you love Jesus? Well, yeah, I love Jesus. You know, do you like people? Oh, a little bit. Okay, it's fine. Just a little bit of like, it's good. Can you read? Yeah, I can read. Okay, like <laughs> then we're pretty good to go. All right. You know, like then, then Start a life group. Be in a life group. Like, it's not, remember, these people just got saved last week. This whole, this whole church is brand new to them. And they're meeting every day, studying God's word, fellowshipping, having gladness of heart. And, and it's simple, though. It's simple. Like, they don't overcomplicate it. Let, let me give you a, a really easy way to start a life group. Take this bulletin after you fill it out today. Go home. And tonight or the next day or whatever, talk about it with somebody else. It's called a sermon review life group. It's the easiest thing. You don't have to teach any lesson. You don't have to prepare. You just take the bulletin and you talk about, hey, what'd you think about the first point? What about the second? What if, and then you pray for each other and you hang out and, and, and you watch the game and, and you let your kids run around and, and you just do life together. Look, that, that's, that's our heart. That's Pastor Rick's heart, Seth, myself. We, we want this to be a church. Man, we, we meet our best friends we don't have pressure to give and serve and do all this stuff and impress anybody. Like, it's just gladness and simplicity. And we're just all following Christ and, and helping each other to grow as fully devoted followers. That's called discipleship. Amen? That's what we're called to do. It's not that complicated. And, and listen, I'm going to be really selfish for a minute. Um, because y'all are going to leave. Probably my family's coming in. And I tell my church this all the time. Um, everything I do as their pastor as a pastor in this church, is completely selfish. Like the only reason I do it, not the only, but, but like the primary reason, okay, is, is because like I want the church in Hot Springs to be so full of life and so much fun and so much generosity. I want them to be a worshiping church. I want them to love each other. I, I, I want them to know God's word. And, and, and the main reason why, it's not even for them. It's for my family because I want my kids to love church. I want them to love the bride of Christ. I want them to be excited to come to this building and worship because the people there are full of life and gladness and joy, and they love each other. Why? Because I, I 
I want to spend eternity with my family. Amen? And I don't know about you, but my kids, when they were born, they were lost. I mean, they were getting jacked up. You know, like, we had to, we had to get on to it. And, and listen, I'm, I'm praying that they will fall in love with Jesus because they see the love in the bride of Christ. And the healthier the church is, the, the more chance my kids have of, of falling in love with Jesus because they see the love on you guys. And I'm, I'm pretty sure Seth is probably the same way, right? So like my kids, most of their birthday parties, they happen at church. We got a little playground. Y'all got a basketball court? I don't know if this is against the rules, but let me just encourage you. Like if you're going to have a birthday party for your kids, have it at church, right? Like, let them, like let's, let's have as much life happening in this building as possible so that when they associate this church building to something in their mind, the first thing they think of is, oh, it's fun to go there. It's fun to be with God's people. It's fun to be at, at God's house. It's fun to be with the, with the church, with, with my adopted parents and grandparents and my, my college friends who I look up to. Listen, college kids, I don't know if you're all here yet, but like my kids, like you're, you're the heroes because you're tall, number one, taller than them. That's a big part of it. But you're cool. You're not like, you don't have a dad loser status yet, you know, and stuff like that. Sorry, all the dads out there. I'm right there with you. You know, he's like just totally disqualified just for being a dad. I don't know what it is, but man, I want this to be a place where there is life happening. It's, there's joyful because I want my kids to fall in love with Jesus. Is that okay with everybody? Can y'all help me with that? Just fake it today. All right. Just, just try that. Just on your way. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'll do that. Here's the last thing. They were a growing church. <clears throat> so they're a learning church, loving, worshiping, joyful. And then lastly, we see they're growing. All right. Verse 46 and 47. Day by day, continuing. They're breaking bread. They're in the temple in the house. They're taking their meals together, gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, think about this. This just makes a lot of logical sense to me. You got this group of people, their focus, their devotion is, number one, we're going to study this book. We're going to do what Jesus said to do. Number two, we're going to love each other really well and be generous. There's a need we're sharing each other. Number three, man, we, we are committed to worshiping together, showing our devotion to God on a regular basis. And number four, like, we're, we're having fun, man. We're doing life. This isn't just something that we show up and put a happy face on. No, we're, like, it's sincere. It's, it's joyful. We're eating together. And, and then it says, and they're having favor with all the people. Well, of course they're having favor with all the people. If those four things are happening first, I mean, and there's real joy and there's real, real fellowship. I mean, how could people not be attracted to that? People are looking for something real, right? People are looking for something that, that gives them hope and purpose and identity. And, and guess what? The church, we have the market on that, all right? Like, Dixon Street doesn't get to have all the fun. Man, we can have more fun in God's presence, I believe. And so, of course, they're having favor with the people. And, of course, God would add to their number because there's hurting people out there that are looking for life. They're looking for joy and purpose and, and fulfillment. And so when you have all these things added together, of course you're going to be growing as long as there's lost people outside of this building. And, 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 I'm, and I'm pretty sure that's still the case. A few years ago... Um, I want to just close with this. We, uh, you might think this is crazy, but 
It's been so much fun. We opened our home um, to foster. We became a foster care family. And uh, it was a lot of work. It, it took a long time. We had to go through a lot of classes and, you know, take tests and watch, you know, lessons and meetings and CPR training and home studies. We had to, like, add locks and things. I mean, there's a lot that goes into becoming a foster family, um, working with DHS. And so went through the whole process and um, got our home open a few years ago. And we've had, I don't know, a dozen or so kids through there. And, um, but but here, here's how it, it works. And, and, and really, this, this makes a lot of sense. When a kid is taken from a home and they're put in the system, they want to make sure before they place that child, whether it's a teenager or a newborn, in your home, that they can trust you. That, that you've met certain criteria. Your home is safe. Your family's not crazy. <laughs> uh, you, you've, you've got it somewhat together so that you can take care of this, this kid that's just come from probably a difficult situation. Sometimes it's abuse. Sometimes it's neglect. Sometimes it's you know, just a, a hard situation. And so they're, they're coming with some baggage. Um, and, and I'm so thankful as, as difficult and sometimes tedious as the process is to, to get open and, and to get to where you can have a placement, I'm so thankful for that process. Because you don't just want to give somebody else's kid to anybody, right, without vetting them first. And, and, and I was reminded of that as, as I was studying this passage because I think that that. This passage is a lot like the foster care system. And just, just go with me for a minute. See, when God saves somebody, he adopts them into his family. They get taken out of the family of this world and put in the system. And the system is the bride of Christ. But see, all of us, we were lost in our sins. We were dead in our transgressions. Like we were bound up enslaves to unrighteousness, the Bible says. In fact, we were enemies toward God before we knew Christ. And then God saved us. We didn't save ourselves. God saved us. By grace, you've been saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works that no man may boast. And so God saves us, and he saves us out of this world, out of, out of the family of darkness that, that we were bound to. It doesn't mean you were a bad, you know, wicked person necessarily, but you didn't know Christ. And then he puts us in the system. And here's what God wants to know. Just like DHS. Where's there a family that I can trust this son or daughter to? Who can I confidently say is going to take care of this new daughter of mine? This son that I've just adopted? Who's studying my word and wants to do what I've commanded? Not what the culture says, not, not what the laws say, not what everybody else is doing, but no, what, what my word says. Who really loves each other and shows it by the way they give and they're generous with their time and their talents and their treasure, whatever I've given them? Because we're, we're all just stewards of everything you own. That breath, that was God's. He gave it to me. How am I going to steward it? And, and who's faithful to worship and, 
and devote themselves to, to meeting together and encouraging one another, spurring each other on to love and good deeds, like Hebrews 10, 24 says. Man, who's full of joy? Because like, my kids, I want them to have fun when I put them with a family. I don't want it to be a drag. I don't want them to feel all pressured and like, you know, you, you got to do this and you got to do that. No, man, I want it to be life-giving. Who's that church family I can entrust these kids with? And I think that's the question God has for us. Are, are, are we trustworthy? When he decides to save people, when his spirit moves, can he trust this church, this bride of Christ with his children because we're doing these things. He could trust the apostles. He could trust that church with 3,000 in a day. But then day by day, God kept entrusting them with more souls. Listen, I want to be trustworthy. I want God to look at me and look at our church and go, you know what? I can trust New Life Church. Here's more souls. You're going to love them. You're going to lead them. You're going to teach them this book. You're going to make disciples. You're going to meet together. Not because you got it all figured out. I mean, these 3,000 certainly didn't. They just started. But because you're just trying to walk out what Jesus calls us to. So my question is, can we be trusted by God today? Can we be this church this fall? What a great opportunity. A bunch of college students are coming back to town and new families and I saw a ton of babies walking in here. I mean, well, you've been entrusted with children already. You're making disciples whether you like it or not. It's just a question of how. How are we discipling these children? How are we discipling each other? Will you bow your heads with me?